Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Hey, y'all, good morning. Good to see y'all here. Good to see everybody that's online. Thanks for tuning in, Facebook, YouTube, and the website. Uh, We hope that you'll leave a comment, let us know that you're there, share it. If you're on YouTube, subscribe, but welcome to Grace Bible Church, and happy Thanksgiving to you, Uh, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. We're headed that way now. Uh, Some of y'all's houses are already decorated, and you ruined the curve for the rest of us. Thank you very much. Ainsley had me drag all the Christmas stuff out of the attic last night because of some of you jokers, all right? Uh, anyway, we started, yeah, I got up early this morning about 5.30 and was just kind of, you know, thinking through um, a sermon today, and Angelie's up around the house, 5.30 in the morning, decorating, got Christmas music playing, the world's not even awake yet. Uh, this is Brenda Coulter, she is our director of children's ministries here at GBC. Uh, we are, yeah, you can get, show her some love. Uh, we are uh, in, we're calling this series Simply Christmas, but really what it is, for those of you that come from more traditional church backgrounds, this is our version of Advent. Uh, we're going to focus over these next several weeks of, in, on Advent, just preparing our hearts for Christmas so that Christmas season doesn't pass us by, but it serves what it's meant to serve in our lives as we slow ourselves down and focus and celebrate the Savior Jesus who came into the world to rescue us. Now, We don't want to just have Advent conversations on Sunday morning. We want to give you an excuse to have those at your house together, either as a family or as a friend group or as neighbors on Sunday evenings. So Brenda and her team have put together some kits, we'll call it, and I'm going to have her explain what those are and how they work. Well, first, I have to see how many of you love Christmas as much as I do. All right, all right. So my house may not be fully decorated yet, but it is almost there. And I love Christmas and everything about it. And I love having my kids and doing all of the things. But sometimes all of the things just add up to so much stuff that I get to Christmas and I barely had a chance to really enjoy the reason for Christmas, Jesus. And so What we did as a team, we partnered with the pastors, because we don't want this to just be for kids. We've said that a couple of times, but our heart is for families to sit around the table together and discuss and and have moments where they can pour parents can pour into their children, grand, um, grandparents can pour into their grandkids and aunts and uncles, but also friends and neighbors and small groups. And what we have is each week of Advent, we have a little card that has um, on the front, it has the theme, a Bible verse, it has some discussion questions, a little short devotional and a prayer time. But on the back, there's lots of activities. Some of them will be service-minded, some of them will be just fun things like Christmas caroling or card making. And so we're going to have those different things for you as just a resource, an extra way for you to plug in together as a family or a group. But for the next couple weeks, we have some little kits that are our main project. And so we put that together for you. And you as a family will take that home and be 
able to set aside some time to really invest and to really think through what hope means for you and what Jesus did for you and to just maybe spark some discussion. And I said it earlier, I know I get these grand ideas and then with my kids, it doesn't turn out nearly the way I thought it was going to. It might be a little messy. It might be a little awkward or weird. And and that's okay. That's okay. Discipleship is the heart, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And these are just small little nuggets that will help you and your family and your friends connect together and maybe spark some discussion to make sure that you just pause, like Dustin said, and and don't miss what Christmas is really about this year. Yeah, so like she said, this is not just for families with children in the home. This may be for you and your friend group or neighbors or whatever, uh, just depending on your dynamic. But this has given you an excuse to continue to talk about the things of Christmas, namely focusing on Jesus, even in your own home. This is a great missional opportunity for those of you that are trying to reach your neighbors and friends with the gospel. And so uh, some, some of these kits, you'll make something. Some of these kits, you'll bake something. Y'all don't want to miss that week, of course. And then some of these kits, we'll even have you watch something, and we'll give you some discussion questions uh, based on a video that we'll share with you or whatever. But anyway, we hope you'll grab one for your unit, whatever that means, on your way out of here today. Brenda and her team will be back in the back. Thank you, Brenda, for doing such an incredible job with the kids of GBC, you and your whole team. Oh, speaking of Christmas decorations, what do you think, huh? That's pretty cool, ain't it? So got to give credit where credit's due. This was uh, Mary Beth. She's one of our executive directors over all kinds of stuff around here. I won't even bother you with her job description. Um, this is not a part of her job description, but she's the one that kind of took, took the tip of the spear and, we, and ran with it. And look how this turned out awesome. Her and a team of staff and volunteers uh, really transform this place. This is definitely the coolest it's ever looked at Christmas here, in my opinion. Uh, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? I dig it. I dig it. All right, good. Y'all can help us clean it up in a few weeks. That's good. I'm glad you like it so much. Uh, if you have your Bibles, flip on over to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm just going to stick with what Etienne and Abigail read here a little bit ago. Each week, we'll look at some different elements um, just of, of uh, what the Word of God would have for us to kind of prepare our hearts for Christmas and this season that we call Advent as we are waiting and longing and preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And um, as a matter of fact, when I got up this morning, flipped over my Bible, again, it was probably about 5.15 or 5.30, I'm just looking through my notes and praying, I flip over my Bible to Isaiah chapter 9, and in my Bible, next to my notes is this lovely love note from my sweetie, and I'm going to read it to you. I know usually I don't, but this time I am. Because this is good, because this really speaks to where we're at today. She just said, my love, I'm praying for you as you bring the word this morning. I'm so very thankful for the beautiful reminder that this Advent season brings. King Jesus is coming back for his church. That's good news, ain't it? That's, that's what Advent is, essentially. Advent is an old Latin word that means coming or arrival. Um, and, and the idea of Advent is kind of coupled with just this, this, just this idea of like longing and waiting for the arrival of something. Longing and waiting for the coming of somebody. Um, that's Advent. It's that, it's that waiting space where you're just like yearning for the arrival. And so like we, I consider us among the blessed generations. You hear me say this every year because we get to look back over our shoulder and celebrate the Savior that did come. We, we get to, at Christmas time, we get to tell the stories and be reminded that God got up off the throne of heaven and showed up as a baby to come and rescue the world for any who would believe, whosoever would. 
And so we are among the blessed generations. We get to live our life in the steadfast hope that the words and work of Jesus were enough and that they were sufficient even for you and me. And what great hope we have in that. But yet we too are in Advent because Jesus told us, hey, I'm not just coming this time. He said, I'm going to go back to be with the Father and prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come again to take you to be with me where I am. John chapter 14. And he told us he's coming back. And just like he has kept every promise in history, we wait in Advent, even as the 21st century people, because we are longing and waiting and hopeful for the day that Jesus returns again. And boy, it could be this afternoon for all I know. And that sounds pretty good to me. He can beat me to lunch if he wants to. I don't mind having lunch at the wedding supper of the Lamb this afternoon. I'm cool with that. How about y'all? So we prepare our hearts. We, we, we live as a, as a people... Those people that we're reading about in the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, they were living in light of the eventual, the hopeful coming of the Messiah. That one day, hopefully in their lifetime, the Messiah would arrive. Well, in our lifetime, the Messiah has come. He has come to set the captive free. He has come to break the bondage of sin in our lives and make us right with God. But we live in Advent as well as a people because we wait and long and yearn for him to return, to come back and finally put an end to all this mess, to finally take us home to be with him as his people, to finally make the crooked path straight and bring the high places low and the low places high and bring perfect order and perfect peace in all of his creation, just like it was meant to be in the garden. That day's coming. And that day's coming soon. We're closer than we've ever been. Maybe in this lifetime, I wouldn't be surprised if it was. As far as I know, Jesus may already be brushing down his white horse as Gabriel shines up his trumpet and God may have already called out into the heavenlies and told the angels to get ready because they're coming. I don't know. That may be happening right now as we speak. But I do know that we are a people that even in Christmas time, we are reminded we live in light of the second coming. We live in light of the return of our king. And we celebrate this season of Christmas and we place our hope in what has been done for us and what is going to be done for us, for those that have faith in Jesus. And hopefully through this, through all the chaos that 2020 has thrown at you, through all the chaos that life itself, let's move 2020 aside, through all the chaos that life itself that just throws at us, sickness and disease and divorce and brokenness and hurt and hatred and war and like all the broken things of this world, like we can rest in the hope that the best is still yet to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there is coming a day when all of this stuff, all of these broken and wicked things will be made right. And so we wait for that day. We look forward to that. We long to that. And hopefully this Christmas season, as we have these conversations, as you get in the Word, and as you have conversations around your own dinner table with your family or friends or neighbors, that the Holy Spirit would lift your eyes up off of the things of earth below, off of the weariness of this battle that we fight called life, and lift your eyes up to the heavenlies and be reminded that God is up to something more than you could ever ask or imagine, and He always comes through on His promises, doesn't He? Matter of fact, Christmas is a reminder, pay close attention, Christmas is in fact a reminder that God always keeps his promises, but that he often packages them differently than what we expected. I'll say that for you again, I don't want you to miss it. That's kind of the springboard of this whole conversation. Christmas is a reminder that God always keeps his promises, but he often packages them differently than what we expected. Kind of like Amazon. I wasn't even going to tell you this story, but like I ordered a green Sharpie, you know, the marker, and it came in a shoebox. I'm like, who, who's deciding like 
what packaging to use for what, y'all have the same problem too? Like I simply would have overlooked that thing and that can't be for me. I ordered a marker and it's this big old box. Like stuff becoming a weird box is what God oftentimes works in the same way. Unlike Amazon, he always keeps his promises, but he does oftentimes package things differently than what we expected, namely sending the Savior into the world as a baby. That's a reminder of how God often works, and I'm telling you, like this, this conversation about hope, this candle that was lit this morning is representative of the hope that we have in Jesus. And I can tell you, if we're not careful, this conversation really is about stewarding our hope today. Because if we're not careful and we don't steward our hope well, by keeping our hope rested on th the things of God, the words and ways of God, on the work of Jesus, if we don't keep our hope rested there, it is easily to let, easy, easy to let it slip into lesser things. Important things, sure, but lesser things nonetheless. And I'm telling you, if our hope is rested in anything that death can take from us, we will be disappointed. We're going to constantly be let down. That's why we always are. We live in a world that's ravaged by death and everything that comes with it. Brokenness, disease, defeat, everything that comes with it. If our hope slips into anything temporary, we will, we will always feel defeated. We'll feel not loved. We'll feel overlooked. We'll feel like God's not paying close attention. But if we keep our hope rested in him, then you just might notice the microscopic miracles of God that are right under your nose all the time. You know, sometimes we get so fixed on hoping in lesser things that we look beyond the work that God is doing right in front of our face and we don't even notice it. And we're praying prayers, crying out, saying, God, what are you doing? Can't you see I need? Can't you do something you're taking forever? Like, what's up? What are you waiting for? And because we so fixed our gaze on something lesser, we're missing the microscopic movements of God right in front of our face that truly is a greater answer to our prayer than we could ever ask or imagine. One of these times that this happened in history happened with the people of God, and it was in reference to the first arrival of our Savior. That's why I told you to show up in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 through 7. Let's read this together. Listen to this promise from God to his people through the prophet Isaiah. Think about, if you heard these words, what you would believe as a result of hearing this promise from God, all right? The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you, and with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken on the day as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. In other words, Isaiah is telling us through the word of God that one day there is peace coming, that there will be an end to all war. And he says this is how it's going to happen. For unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. Have you heard these words before around this time of year? And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's really good news right there. And I can tell you, like, if we would have lived 
in those times awaiting on the Messiah, and it was prophecies like this that we would have heard on what it was going to look like when the Messiah showed up, we probably also would have logically concluded in our mind, just like they did, we would have come rational, full circle in our mind and determined that, well, when the Messiah shows up, if he's going to put an end to all war and the government's going to be on his shoulders and the end of his peace, there's going to be no end, then either the Messiah's got to be some warrior king or some like persuasive politician that's going to be able to overthrow our oppressors, fix all the broken stuff and bring peace. And as we do in the 21st century, they did in the ancient of days, and they heaped, instead of trusting that the government would be rested on the shoulders of the Savior, they went ahead and rested themselves, hoping for a government Savior. Hoping that somebody was going to step in as a Messiah there. And that's what they looked for. And that's what they prayed for. And they believed it so much so. This prophecy along with like when Daniel gave us a prophecy of the 77s and he like prophesied the timeline of which the Messiah was going to arrive. Like they, they coupled these things together and they believed it so much so that they all showed up to Passover in Jerusalem around 32 AD and they all stood out in the front of the city and they grabbed their palm branches. There probably wasn't a palm branch left on any tree in the city. There was millions of people that had gathered from around the world to celebrate Passover. And also because they believed that the Messiah, the promised one of God, who was going to come and set them free from the oppression of Rome and finally bring peace to earth, was supposed to show up at some point around that time in history. So you know what they did? They believed it so much they gathered by the millions and they stood out at the gate of the city and they waved their palm branches and they cried out what? Hosanna, Hosanna. As they see this carpenter riding side saddle on a donkey with a couple dusty old fishermen by his side, they cry out in their language this word Hosanna, which means save us, save us. He sure don't look like who I was expecting. Where's the big horse that means it's wartime? No, he's riding on a donkey that means peace. Where's the big entourage? Where's the army by his side? Those are just some old dusty fishermen that none of us really like that much anyway. But what the heck, I've heard the stories of how this guy had caused the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. Heck, I just heard that a couple days ago he raised a guy named Lazarus from the dead. So maybe this is the guy. What the heck? Let's go with this. Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us. Save us. You must be the one Isaiah was talking about. And Jesus arrives into town. He's heralded as a celebrity. People are worshiping him assuming he must be the Messiah of God, the one that the prophets had promised. And one day goes by, two days go by, three days go by, and there was no major revolt. There was no bloodbath of a war that broke out. He, he didn't even stand in the public square and give any persuasive speeches. No, he just went about doing the things that he had always done, having meals with his disciples, caring for people that were hurting. And that was it. So he must be a fraud. That, he, this can't be the guy. 
And so the same voices that were shouting Hosanna were now shouting crucify him. That's not the one that God had promised. That cannot be the Messiah. Because see, they had logically determined in their mind after hearing the words of the prophets. They had rationally concluded that if that's going to be the outcome, peace, if the government's going to rest upon his shoulders, then he must be going to show up in perhaps a violent or certainly a very powerful way that is going to overthrow our oppressors and bring peace to us on earth. Never did they consider for a moment that the real Messiah of God, when he showed up, he wasn't going to stop at setting an ancient people group free from the oppression of Rome. He was going to go all the way and set all people for all time free from the oppression of all evil and wickedness. He wasn't going to stop at peace on earth. It's the chaos on earth that moves us towards God. Instead, he was going to give us peace with God. He was going to accomplish more than we could have ever asked or imagined. But because he didn't show up in the packaging that we thought he should, everybody missed him. I mean, this is God. He got up off the throne. He put on skin. He had meals with people. He went to third grade with kids. He was a part of his community parades. He was the local carpenter that would have built the cabinets at your house. Like, you knew this guy. Just a regular old Jesus. He went by the name Joshua, the most common name for a boy his age in their society. Matter of fact, when he, started, when he started his ministry, people, as he was going from town to town, they're like, hey, isn't that the carpenter from Nazareth? He was that normal. Just a tradesman. And he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and he died a death that we all deserved to pay a price that we couldn't pay. And everybody missed it. Because God answered the prayers of generations in a packaging that they weren't expecting. And so they overlooked the whole thing. And they end up taking him to the cross to kill him as a criminal, as a fraud. Little did they know that the king had arrived. And he had arrived in such a way that he was not born in a palace, but in a stable. His rule was not established with an iron fist, but with a gentle hand. His power was not displayed through bloodshed, but by the feeding of the poor. His glory was not displayed by being elevated to a throne, but by being lifted up on a cross. Totally different packaging than what we were hoping for. But it accomplished the greatest work in the history of the world. It was the greatest display of love that God had ever shown the world. He himself stepping down into our story, writing himself into the margins of our wrecked story so that we could be rescued. Because he was crazy about us and the world missed him. As a matter of fact, Jews to this day are still waiting for their Messiah because of this. Because they believe that the one true Messiah is going to bring peace on earth. 
Whereas me as a Christian, man, I'm thankful that there's not peace on earth because when things are peaceful, we don't lean towards God. We lean away from him. It's our chaos and our tragedy that causes us to run towards him. And it's the work of the Savior that gave us peace with God so that we could be made right with him so that this temporary thing called earth one day, it's going to go away. And our life is sustained by this family of God that we've been invited into. But I think the story of Christmas is it's teaching us about where we rest our hope. It reminds us, oh Christian, um, don't trust in the logic of your mere mortal mind about how you have concluded that God, if he loves you and if he's listening to you, and if he's going to do anything about your tough situation at all, that he's going to have to step into the story in this way. Put your hope in Jesus, not in your rationale of how you hope for this thing to turn out. Because I can tell you, God may be in the middle of answering your prayers. He may have already shown up in a variety of ways. His fingerprints may be all over your story. But if your hope is fixated on a lesser God, you're probably missing his presence right in front of your face. He's probably all up in the stuff. But we can't see him because we have logically already concluded in our minds that God has these three options on how he could possibly answer my prayer in this specific situation. So as we pray, we inform God of his options. And all the while, the miracle working hand of God is alive and well and active in your life, and we are missing it because our hope is in a lesser God. Our hope is slipped from where it belongs. And the Savior Jesus and his eternal work and his eternal presence and has slipped into something lesser, and we're missing his microscopic movements. Where is your hope at today? I want to remind you of the words that the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church. As we are logically concluding how God must respond in our story, in our situations, and we put our hope in that, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and 29, listen closely, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. In other words, it's just like God to answer your prayers and packaging that you're not going to notice unless your hope is fixed on him. Where's your hope at this morning? Look, I know, I know life is such a wreck. It's a mess. It's complex and it's complicated and hardship lurks around every corner. And I'm not saying the stuff that we long for, that we're in Advent for, that we're waiting on God to act on in our lives. I'm not saying it, that it doesn't matter because it does. I'm in Advent. There's something in my life I've been longing and waiting for God to act on. And he don't seem to be in any kind of hurry. And I've prayed the prayers a million times, and I've reworded it, and I've reworked it, and I've let him know what his options are, and I'm still waiting. What about you? Is it okay for God 
in your life to truly be God. And step into your situation. Answer your prayer. Give direction. Package a blessing. Whatever. Is it okay if Him being God determines how He wants to carry those things out? Or if we backed Him into a corner and say, this is the only way you could possibly respond to my need, God. And if you don't respond in that way, I'm going to call you into question to the nth degree. What are we really hoping in? Who do we really worship, if that's the case? Place your hope on King Jesus, a hope that is everlasting and unfading and is timeless, a hope that is safely at rest when you keep it on him, when you trust in his words and his work and his ways and not in your own timing and in your own plans. Hope at Christmas time, it reminds us that God always keeps his promises. But he oftentimes packages them a little bit differently than what we were expecting. And if our hope isn't rested in him, we just might miss the whole thing. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Let's sing again uh, as we conclude our time. But Father, um, I, I reflect on Ansley's words uh, this morning. Just how Advent is, is a season that brings about the reminder that King Jesus is coming back. Life is a gift and it is a blessing, but man, to be honest with you, Lord, like it's complex and it's wearisome and it doesn't satisfy. But I know that you do. Sometimes I just have a hard time figuring out how to build the bridge between like my emotional and visceral desires of life and crossing over that chasm and really just resting my hope on you and nothing less. God, I know you're worthy of that hope and I know not only are you the author of that hope, but you are the sustainer of it. And you haven't left us alone to figure out how to walk across this bridge by ourselves. Lord, your Holy Spirit within us knows the way and never gets lost. So Lord, would you guide us into the safe place of your ever, everlasting arms that our hope and our assurance and our confidence and our peace might rest in you. That you are up to something more than we could ever ask or imagine and that your definition of good for our story is better than our own. Lord, have your way in us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.